This is Unrefined, the podcast where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories. Hi there, story lovers. I'm Shannon. And I'm Camille. And welcome to another episode of Unrefined. Before we get into today's episode, we need to have a little talk. Yes, we launched this podcast in the wrong order. You see a lot of podcasts launch with a lot of pre-planned content. They build their audience and then eventually add some listener-driven content. Yes, we launched this podcast with some of our shows planned out, but we were counting on the idea that our listeners want to participate too. The guests we've had on this show have been amazing, and we're sure that there are others out there that have a story to tell too. You can DM us on Instagram or reach out via email. We've updated the Share Your Story page on our website, so you can also visit that for more details about submitting your story, and there should be some updated story prompts there too for you. Now that we have that covered, let's get to today's topic, odd jobs. You may be asking yourself if we're going to be sharing some stories about mowing grass or doing jobs around the house, but that's not really what this episode is about. Today, we're going to share some of our personal stories about some of the most unusual jobs we've ever had. Oftentimes, these are the jobs you pick up when you're younger, broke, and need a little extra money. So let's get into those stories. So I went to... Uh, college here in Charleston, South Carolina. And after your freshman year, you basically like moved into a house. There weren't enough dorms for everyone to go their whole four years in dorms. So you would hang out in the summer and party and, you know, get a job and hang out, you know, and just basically it was, it was like a, a young person's paradise. Well, my parents weren't into that idea, and I don't know why, and I don't appreciate it. They wanted me to come home back to, or go back to Clinton, where Shannon and I are from. And I, you know, I get it. Great. I am need to go back home after my freshman year. I needed to make some money for myself. And so they thought, you know what, I think a great idea for you would be to bag groceries or work as a cashier at the Ingles or the Bilo. That sounds like something your dad came uh, up with. You're correct. <laughs> he came up with most of the jobs I ended up doing. If you know me, you know, especially me as a young college student, I thought I was way too good for that. Turns out I am not. And to show me that, uh, my dad helped me get another job when I refused to bag groceries. And this job was at a place that was about 20 minutes, a town 20 minutes from our house. And my dad had heard about it through his work. And he said, you know, I think this is a, this will be a, a really good uh, summer, summer work for you. And I was like, whatever, I hate you. Get out of my room. <laughs> it was at a place called Ceram Tech. And I don't know, Shannon, if you know about Ceramtech. I don't think I do. I thought you sold knives. Or oh, you something. thought that was going to be it? That's not what um, you Yeah, that's one of the jobs I had. But this one's even weirder, if you can imagine. 
Um, I was a lucky lady of selling Cutco knives and the Band-Aid industry received tenfold <laughs> of, of um, profits that summer because I cut myself and bled on every single person I tried to sell knives to. <laughs> it was so pathetic. I No, I'm not even sharing that one, Shannon. This one's even weirder, if you can imagine. I didn't know you had a separate job from that. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Good. Um, yeah. So this one was at a place called Ceram Tech that, and I don't know if it still exists, but basically they manufactured, inspected, and then shipped ceramic oxygen sensors that go in your car. So they were basically had kind of the color and chalkiness look of, yeah, like a piece of chalk, a light pink piece of chalk, but they were very, very thin. I'm trying to think like the, the end of a chopstick, like what you would, the, the pointy end. It was like that. And it was about two inches long and it had a tiny little gold plate on it. Tiny. And those would be put in cars. And when there was a certain, when there was too much oxygen in the combustion system or something, I don't even know. Again, sports. Whenever, I obviously don't know how it worked. Um, but I know that my job was to inspect these ceramic rods. Okay. So I sat in a room with six other women. Almost all of them had worked there their whole lives. And I'm talking like from age 17 until the age they were at the moment, which I would say would be starting in their mid to late 50s. I think maybe maybe some of them were in their late 40s. At that time in your life, when you're like just in college, you, you can't really gauge age as well. But we each had our own little workstation. And there it was barely like 1950s. There was a man who wore short sleeve button up dress shirts, you know, and probably a clip on tie. And he would come in and he would check on the ladies, make sure we were meeting our quota. And then he would let us know when it was time for lunch. And, and he basically just stayed in his office the rest of the time. But if you think about a lot of women sitting around doing a repetitive motion, it kind of becomes what you would imagine most situations of like, it was almost like women sitting around like like snapping beans or removing corn husks. You know, it just became this repetitive, very feminine maternal energy because we're all just doing the same repetitive motion. And what we had to do was look through these microscopes with gloves on and you would roll these tiny ceramic rods back and forth and back and forth and you would look for cracks in them. And we got two 15 minute breaks and 30 minutes for lunch. And we would go sit on this outside deck and eat our sandwiches and the women would smoke. And it, I felt like very Norma Ray when I was there. I'm like, guys, this isn't fair. We need more breaks, you know? And they were like, oh, you're so young and fresh. And all of them smoked. I mean, like they all talk like that. Yes. But they had worked there their whole lives and they had been in the same place their whole lives. And, and it was a great experience. And I kind of like had a crush on one of the rednecks who drove like a probe or something there. I don't know. Like <laughs> a hot warehouse worker. And I was like, maybe I'll just work here the rest of my life and Shane and I will fall in love. But so anyway, I worked, I was working there. And because I was the only person under the age of 40, 
50, I was really good at catching the imperfections on these little ceramic rods. So I kind of became their, their star worker for a while. And at one point they got a call from the Greenville plant and they needed a really good inspector to go to the Greenville plant and to inspect their ceramics because they had had issues with certain breaks and cracks in their rods. And so I remember because I, my eyes were so good that I had to drive an old Oldsmobile. It was like a little Oldsmobile square one with this woman. And there was no heat or air in the car. And I remember Christian music playing the whole time. And I had to ride with her from Lawrence to Greenville and talk about Christ and some other, I'm sure, very, very interesting topics for a girl who had just been like binge drinking for seven months straight. <laughs> and so I remember feeling very kind of proud that I had young eyes though, because I was going to get to go. I went, they like took me from into this huge plant and I went from room to room and they gave me a tour and then they gave me like special gloves to, for me to wear, to like look through all the ceramic rods. And, and the woman that took me was like, she's got real good eyes. She's going to catch it. And there I was <laughs> in this plant somewhere. And I think I like looked through, you know, and I was like, gave them the okay on their shipment of ceramic rods. And then I was back to, to working, you know, nine to eight, eight to four, eight to five in the dead heat of summer in the upstate of South Carolina in a factory with women who had been there forever. And one of the craziest things was when we were sitting around talking is that there was really this very clear reality of what other, the women that I grew up around or the women that well, I'm sure they were the same. They're the same all over the world, but are all over the country. But there was one woman who was, um, I mean, I, I wasn't even 20 yet. I was 19. Maybe I was not, I was 18, I think, because I turned 18 my freshman year of college. Yep. And this one woman had been in a safe home because her, her husband had been beating her. And so, and because we're sitting around doing this repetitive motion and all talking, you know, everybody's just talking and yeah. talking. You understood this bond that was created in these work environments because you spent the majority of your day talking and sharing. And this one woman had finally, she, she was young. She was probably in her mid twenties. She'd finally gotten away from her husband and she was staying at this safe house. And, but everybody would talk about how they knew she was going back. And one day she didn't come back to work and they just knew she had gone back with her husband. And there was another woman who was there who told us the story. And I was a biology major because at this point, cause I wanted to go to med school until I got to organic and realized that wasn't as smart as I thought I was. And, or I liked drinking and hanging out with frat boys more, but this woman told me the story and I'm going to tell it to you right now, Shannon. And this is, this is one of the beautiful things that I received from working at Ceram Tech. Okay. She told me a story about how there's this old woman that lived down the hill from her and her deity and her, her family. And this old woman had a big old German shepherd. Yeah. And that was her companion because her husband had died a long time ago. And so that German Shepherd was her companion. And this woman I worked with who was in her 60s said that, you know, her deity would go down the straight, go down that hill, that dirt hill, and check on that woman. 
because that's what you did. And one day he went down there and there were dog babies. Oh, like puppies? <laughs> Not puppies. Dog babies. No, 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 Shannon. <laughs> there were not puppies. There were dog babies. Half dog, <laughs> half baby. I don't know why you're laughing. I don't know why you're laughing. Because when I looked, gave her the look that you're giving me right now, she did not fucking blink. And I was like, um, I just got done with a biology 111 and 112, which is like weeds out everybody else. And I made A's and both. So I'm pretty sure like genetically, like when it comes to genetics, like I know that that's not possible. And she looked at me and you would have thought that I, you know, burned a Bible in front of her because she looked at me and she said, my daddy doesn't lie. And he saw dog babies. That woman had gotten so lonely that she and that dog no. had made babies. No. <laughs> yes. And I just went, okay. And that was, that, that was, <laughs> that was like, I, I cannot get any more from this experience than I have right now. I am a night, I'm an 18 year old, like spoiled ass fucking brat. That was like, I am not going to buy groceries. What am I, some poor person? And my dad was like, oh, yeah, let me show you what you're going to do. You're going to work at a plant inspecting ceramic rods with the salt of the earth. And from this day on, I'm waiting to see a dog baby because maybe they exist. I have baby dogs, but I don't have a dog. Well... It's not the same. <laughs> I mean, she was so serious. And I'm like picturing this like dirt road and these small houses because if she was in her 60s, then her dad must have been, it must have been like the 30s or 40s, right? Or the 20s. Maybe. And I'm just picturing this like guy in overalls going down with his gun just to check on the widow in the bottom of the hill. And there she had done fucked her German shepherd and had a whole slew of dog babies. <laughs> And then I'm like, maybe they were inbred and they were just like really unattractive children. Oh my God. But she was so serious. And I realized that kind of very, um, that fine line between like making fun of somebody because it's the most outrageous thing you've ever yeah. heard and, and respecting somebody's belief system because it was so tightly connected to her upbringing and her dad and his like kindness to check on this woman. And so I shut my mouth and just nodded yeah. and was like, well, you know, well, I'll be. Well, I mean, it was someone she trusted. Yes. And it was, yeah, it was the, beside almost severing my fingers every other day with Cutco <laughs> knives, it was the most odd job I have ever had. Hey, what are you drinking tonight? I've got a tasty budget red that I picked up at my favorite little grocery store. How about you? Yeah, I'm drinking something similar. Can I read you something that's a little provocative? Yeah, bring it. Opulent, big, bold, and a candidate to stand proudly alongside Napa's finest cold wines. 
Iridium shows dark, rich chocolate. Caramel toffee and blackberries laced with oak spice. White pepper and black cherry. Firm, well-integrated tannins and a solid acid backbone give way to a richly decadent mouthfeel with lingering notes of mocha, cassis, and classic Cabernet notes of graphite. This is a family company, and we can't use all the silky, sexy, libidinous words that come to mind drinking this, but rest assured, it is a rich, round, plush, hedonistic powerhouse that you might imagine, oh yes, tons of dark fruit, mocha, lavishly spiced and hyper-luxurious Cabernet, and a very modern style. Oh, last bottle of wine porn. I wonder how you get the job writing those wine descriptions. I don't know how you get that job, but sign me up. This was today's last bottle of wine. Iridium 2016, a sterling cab. It retails for $175, but last bottle was selling it for $95. Still way outside my wine budget, but that's a huge discount. Yeah, that is a huge discount, and I'm sure I know some people who could swing it and maybe invite me over to help them drink it. Ooh, I love that idea. You know, if our audience uses the last bottle link in the show notes to set up an account, they get a $10 credit. Oh, I'm aware. (laughs) I know we get a credit, too, when they make their first purchase. It would be really nice to up my wine game a bit. Agreed. All right, listeners, check the show notes for the last bottle link and get to work upping your wine game and ours. Today, I am joined by my sister, Laura, and she is going to help me tell a story that I don't remember nearly as well as she does. So Laura, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hey, everybody. Yes, I'm very excited to be here. And after talking to Shannon yesterday, I do remember this story a lot better than she does. So after college, Laura and I were living together in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was in graduate school and I think you were subbing. So but bottom line, we were pretty poor, but we had an opportunity for a little side job that our uncle had suggested us for. And our uncle worked for the state drug and alcohol department for most of his career. And he hooked us up with this guy named Ted. Ted was a magistrate, which is a judge of sorts, I guess. In South Carolina, magistrates can be appointed without legal degrees and they can hear some lower level cases in the court system. And he may have some other badge type powers, right, Laura? Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. So I thought Ted was working on a research project that was testing whether or not grocery stores and liquor stores and convenience stores were carting people who looked like they could be younger than 21. And Laura, you thought this was a different type of project where people might actually get in trouble, right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely thought that they were going to look at the paper we filled out and be like, okay, you're in trouble. See, I like the story where I am not an ARC, (laughs) but we aren't really sure what was done with this information that we gathered. (laughs) I may be framing this in a way that was acceptable to me at the time. I don't know, (laughs) but (laughs) it's very possible we were NARCs. 
but I hope not. So anyway, my uncle suggested Laura and I because we looked kind of young, I guess. I was 24. You were what, 22? I was 22. Yeah. Yeah. 22. I used to get, I used to get carded. Oh my goodness. I got carded at a rated R movie. One movie, two times, two times. When I was like 21. For a rated R movie. Yeah. So Laura is definitely youthful. (laughs) (laughs) So Laura definitely has a youthful appearance. And I remember I would try to dress a little younger to maybe give that impression. But um, to even start this out, Ted took us to a Walmart and asked random people how old they thought we were. Some people thought it was a trick question and were guessing way higher than they should have been. But ultimately, I think he landed on an average age that was under 21. So we were approved for this this job. And I think we were making like $15 an hour, something really good. All we really had to do was drive around with Ted and buy alcohol. So yeah. I mean, we were both pretty okay with that job at the time. It seemed like a great way to make a little extra money. I thought, I mean, in addition to some of the ways that he framed questions around our age in the Walmart parking lot, I thought there were some other flaws in the research study. Of course, I didn't think this at the time. And of course, I'm still calling it a research study. (laughs) But (laughs) gotta keep the lie alive, right? The lie I tell myself. Well, first he told us to buy whatever was cheapest. He would give us cash and this is a state funded project. So they didn't have a ton of money. So it's not like we could actually go in and buy something that we would normally buy. I mean, we weren't drinking anything expensive, but we also weren't buying single bottles of cheap alcohol, like 40s. And I mean, it just was like stuff we wouldn't normally buy. So I feel like some of that may have influenced the behavior as a result. So I don't know. That's just kind of a side note. And then there were also times that he would have us go into places that I would never normally go into those places. We stood out for a lot of different reasons in rougher neighborhoods. And I know that I personally felt like my very presence in those places at times put people on edge and made them extra cautious with me. So I don't know how effective this whole project was. But Laura, I know you mentioned to me one time where they wouldn't even let you in the door. Is that right? Yes. Now, I will say I felt I felt a little unsafe in this particular location, partly because it was dark. Yeah. And I was walking up to a liquor store. I don't, I don't remember where we were. And there was like a group of young men kind of catcalling me across the street. So I'm like booking my ass to the liquor store to get this done. And I get to the door and I think it was already propped open. And the woman behind the counter took one look at me and she was like, nope, get out of here. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I went right back to the car. So yeah, it was a It was a very strange job, but it paid well, so we did it. But the strangest thing that happened while we were doing this job happened while we were in our hometown. So this part of the story, Laura, you remember so much better than I do. Do you want to help me out with this part? Sure. So some of the places we went, uh, we would have like a person who worked for the same agency come and ride with us just to kind of, I guess, tell us places to go or whatnot. When we got to Clinton, 
um, a lady was going to join us and she had her kid with her, which I thought was a little weird because of what we were doing. And I just guess she didn't have a babysitter or she couldn't leave her at home alone or something like that. So, so off we went like a happy little family <laughs> with the girls in the back seat and she sat in the middle because we had to keep getting in and right. out of the car. So it made sense. And I mean, she was old enough to not have a car seat or right. anything. So we started out by the interstate. And kind of worked our way into, you know, the thriving metropolis of, of Clinton. City on the Grow. City on the Grow. City on the Grow. It says so on the sign. Yeah. So we were down by the railroad tracks. I think this is when she noticed it. And the, the girl kept turning around and looking behind us. And I was finally like, what are you looking at? And she looks at me and goes, he's creeping on us. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and she turns around and she points to a cop. There's a cop behind us and he's following us. He's driving really slow. Clearly he's following us. And of course, in my mind, I'm like, isn't that hilarious? Because we're not doing anything wrong, but he totally thinks we are. Right. So he's following us and we're just kind of laughing about it. And I don't know how many stops we made between when we noticed him and when we got to our final destination of the gas station, but it was my turn to go in. And so I went in and I bought my 40 and paid for it. I'm pretty sure the guy carded me. So I get back in the car and I get my clipboard and I'm filling up my form. And all of a sudden we're like surrounded by three, four cop cars and they're coming in with their lights on. I mean, there's like dust blowing everywhere because they've just like skidded to a stop around us. And we're just kind of like, oh, <laughs> and I just remember thinking, oh, this is funny. They think we did something wrong. And obviously that's why the cop car was following us. You know, they're going to set up a sting operation and down. Yeah, they were in a bust our sex trafficking ring. I didn't think that. I didn't think that at all. I thought they thought we were underage and buying alcohol. I don't know what I thought because I don't know. Oh, we were just kind of. I think you're probably We were just kind of an an odd bunch doing some unusual activities in a very small town, right? And, And they noticed. Yeah, most families... Yeah, like if it was like a family outing, like why would you be sending the kids in to go buy alcohol, right? So, <laughs> right. It's just, if we were, it was weird, right? Yeah, it was weird. And, you know, it was also pretty, pretty ironic that this particular gas station was right across the street from the police department. I think they probably thought we were like real stupid. <laughs> well, we've all seen the show cops. They're, you know, people yeah. aren't the brightest sometimes. Ew. So, yeah. So, um, so we get surrounded by cop cars and I'm sitting here kind of laughing like, and also like, what are we supposed to do? And so he rolls his window down and I think he might've asked us for our IDs because he knew that he yeah. was going to need those. And um, so he rolls down the window and he, one of the cops is walking up to the window and he's like, I bet you got some questions for me. And the cop was kind of like, no nonsense. Like, yes, I do. You know, and he like hands him his badge and our IDs and all this. And I don't know if he had, I guess, I don't remember him getting out of the car. None of us got out of the car that I can recall. But I just remember thinking that, you know, our small town police department was thinking they were going to make a big old bust somehow, something. Yeah, I'm a little Um, impressed. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they would thought they were going to arrest people and then march us across the street to the jail. (laughs) Yeah, I guess they brought enough cars. We could have each gotten our own. That's true. That's true. But uh, so Ted got us out of it, right? Nothing. Nothing crazy. Oh yeah, happened. yeah. He yeah he talked to him and you know I guess they went away. But I do remember 
like it was, I don't, it was like probably a few seconds after the cop cars surrounded us, you know, how you have those thoughts that go through your head. And I'm like, oh, this is funny. And then I'm like, oh, I wonder what the people in the gas station think. (laughs) And I see the guy that had checked me out at the register and he looked like he was probably in college. He was a young guy and he was like literally plastered against the window, like with this horrified (laughs) look on his face. And I was like, oh man, I bet he thinks that... (laughs) That he's going to get in trouble for something. But I'm pretty sure that he did card me. Well, I bet that if he didn't, he did after that. <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure that that was a very big learning experience yes. for him. <laughs> oh, gosh. And so after this, we we stopped by our house where our parents live with Ted and proceeded to tell the story to our parents, who I was worried were going to be a little concerned about this job that we had and maybe... Not so amused by what had happened, but it turns out that I was very wrong and they were very amused and I I just was completely surprised by that. Yeah, sometimes they surprise us. So that is our story. So that is my story of being confused for a sex trafficked underage person when I was actually just trying to narc on some businesses that sold alcohol to minors. Yeah, you were just doing your governmental duty, really. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, but you you were in a car with an eight year old. Yeah. And going to liquor stores. Uh huh. I'm. Pr- yeah, I I feel like maybe you were sex trafficked, Shannon, and maybe you just are, you don't remember it. Maybe I blocked it out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we got into those 40s and I don't remember anything. First of all, you went all over the state of South Carolina, and I love that this happened in the town that we grew up in. That's where shit got real. Of course. Of course. A cor- <laughs> right across the street from the, the police station. Yep. That is nuts. And did you ever get carded at any of the places that y'all went? I feel like I got carded at most places, but I also think that we were presenting some red flags that created that behavior. I don't know that it was a true test because yeah, we were buying strange things and we were going into places, places that you would you not wouldn't normally go. So we were automatically visible in a way that maybe it was not a good test sample. I don't think it was super scientific, which also makes me think perhaps we were actually narcs, even though I thought for years that we were just doing a research study. No, you're narcs, which would so make sense. I feel bad about that. Well, I just love that my my idea is that Ted is not actually a magistrate and Ted is just a weirdo who gets women to buy in 40s. To what end? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So you want to do some confessions? I don't have any ever. I've got one. Do you have one? Okay. You go for it. Okay. This confession is specific to this story and may explain why. I didn't remember it as well as my sister. Okay. So before we went out with Ted that specific week, Laura had gotten really, really sick. 
with a stomach virus. And she like was so sick. She was crawling to the bathroom and I was like, give me a break. Suck it up, girl. And she was like, would you please go buy me some Gatorade? And I was like, get it yourself. (laughs) I was such a, I was a real shit to her. Jesus. I was, Jesus, Janet. I was having none of it. Like I was apparently not very empathetic to Laura in her hour of need. And I was a terrible sister, but it was like one of those 48 hour bugs. So she got over it very quickly. And I just thought she was being a whiny complainer. So this very same Saturday that we dropped Laura off at my parents' house and I went back to Columbia, I was supposed to go out with some friends that night. And it got to be kind of late. And at about 1130, I was texting with my, I probably wasn't texting. I probably called her at that point because we weren't really texting yet. And we just decided not to go out. We were going to stay in. And within 20 minutes of that phone call, that stomach bug hit me. And I have never been so sick in my entire life. I was crawling to the bathroom because I was so dizzy and so sick. And I called Laura the next day and I said, I am so sorry. I was such a bitch to you this week. This is the worst I've ever felt my entire life. (laughs) Was it, was it the kind that comes out of all orifices? Yep. Yep. It was. (laughs) Can I just tell you listeners out there that Shannon shook her head? No. And then vocally said, yes. (laughs) I can't think about it. That's why it's that bad. Those don't, I mean, those bugs don't mess around. They do not mess around. It is like your body is like, no way. Nine. Well, I just never been so sick that I was dizzy like that. I'm sorry. Dizzy. Yeah. No, you're good. That's intense. Okay. I don't, I don't know what any confessions I have. Shannon, do you have another listener review for us today? I don't have a new review for you, but I can report that we've received several new five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. <gasps> what? Yes. We are so appreciative for the support that we're getting. I'm just thrilled. That's amazing. Thank you so much, guys. If you want to support the show, head over to Apple Podcast or the podcast player you use the most and leave us a five-star rating and maybe drop us a review while you're at it. That's it for today's show. You can always find us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, keep those stories coming. <laughs>